CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Coindesk is calling on visionaries in the digital economy to present at our newest event, Ideas, Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. Ideas is the place for you to present your marketing opportunity in front of leading investors poised to help you get your idea off the ground. Apply today to become a presenter at Ideas 2022 by Coindesk. Visit coindesk.com forward slash ideas for more information. This episode is sponsored by Circle and Near. Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Michael Casey. Hello and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey. Coming to you this time from Neocon, that's the big annual gathering of the Neo Foundation's community of, of largely developers, but also I'm sure a few hangers on the users and investor community as well. Uh, we're here in Lisbon, Portugal. It's quite an event. Today, though, we're going to be focusing on sustainability, on the use of blockchains like Neo to address concerns around climate change, uh, specifically you know, m- measuring carbon emissions and more effective uses of that. It is a topic that many of you would know is near and dear, excuse the pun, to my heart and to Sheila's heart because the two of us co-founded something called the Crypto Impact Sustainability Accelerator, CESA, at WEF, precisely to focus on this and other sustainability issues, the use cases for crypto and blockchain in that space. Uh, To discuss that, we have two tremendous guests. We've got uh, Frederick Fournier, who is the CEO and co-founder of the Open Forest Protocol. And Mark Johnson coming to us for the second time on Money Reimagined. Mark is the environmental solutions architect for Protocol Labs. Before we bring them in, as always, let's have a little bit of a conversation <laughs> with my lovely co-host, Sheila Warren, who for the third time, third time, third time yes. we're actually together in person. So That's we've right. Davos, Consensus. Yeah. That Small thing, event in that Texas. Was, in <laughs> and here and we are, are in Portugal. In Lisbon, yeah. in, uh, it, it's a fun event. Like Nia's got this sort of fun feel to it, yes. right? Like it's, there's a lot of stuff done around, you know, NFTs and entertainment, a lot of serious stuff like climate change. 
But I couldn't help but notice the Ferris wheel and the carousel. Yes, with the, the carousel horses, with the horses going up and down. Horses. Yes, the bouncy like house somewhere. Bouncy house somewhere. <laughs> it feels like, you know, okay, Ethereum, you know, you might be sort of talking about imaginary unicorns and the like. And <laughs> real horses. So we're actually going to have real moving, <laughs> colorful horses. Moving mechanical you know. horses. That's how much further ahead near is than yeah. Ethereum. Well, you know, we're pre-gaming here. The conference starts tomorrow on the day we're recording, but you know, it is the energy is is fantastic. And I have to say, we've done a lot of episodes recently on, you know, crypto winter on the kind of tougher regulatory environment that we're seeing all over the world. Uh, and to be here with the energy of people who are who are actually biddling, who are building and who are using and who are, you know, really excited, I think is I'm just finding it very inspiring. So yeah. really it's, the, it's, it. it's what we still say, right? The winter, crypto winter is the time to build. So really good to have those sorts of conversations. But uh, unfortunately, it's not all fun and games for you this week because you'll be leaving Portugal <laughs> a little early and you're heading to, to Washington to That's talk right. about regulation. You're actually testifying before the Senate Ag Committee. That's right, on Thursday. What are you gonna, on Thursday, yeah. although uh, you, viewers uh, and listeners, you'll actually be getting this the day after Sheila speaks. And so yeah. can you tell people what you will be talking about so that they'll know what you did talk about? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, this particular hearing is about a, a bill uh, that was uh, co-sponsored by Senator Stabenow and Senator Bozeman and signed on to by Senators Booker and Thune. And it's really focusing on the role of the CFTC within the U.S. regulatory environment. And of course, that means the global regulatory environment because regulation is contagious, as we know. And we're really trying to get something landed to show U.S. leadership, to show that the political machine in the United States is supportive of crypto, understands its importance uh, to the global digital economy, but particularly for the United States. So it's a pretty critical hearing. It's a crucial time. And, and uh, I'm honored to be participating yeah. in this hearing. No, but, it's, you know, really, I'd be sweating bullets. So it's it's really good to right be now. here. <laughs> I mean, uh, regulation, it's, it's, yeah, it's a huge issue. And uh, it seems to be intensifying you know, every, every week, basically. So, well, on to uh, a lot. No, it's not really a lighter topic, is it? I mean, <laughs> no, climate change. A, yeah, we're sorry. China uh, topic. <laughs> but it will be, we'll make it fun. We'll make it fun. Fred, how about you start us off here? So, Frederick Fournier, CEO of Open Forest Protocol, can you tell us about the Open Forest Protocol? What, what's it all about? Thank you for having me on the show. And uh, yes, of course, happy to explain a bit what we do and how we are uh, addressing this specific issue on how we basically bring data. Uh, in a different environment than the actual environment on how we actually deal with data today. So high level of what we do is basically we provide a technological solution, a set of tools for forestation projects. So we're talking about reforestation, uh, afforestation, agroforestry mainly, but also conservation for people to uh, use those tools on the ground, uh, capture data and get that data validated uh, in a decentralized way and then being stored on, uh, on chain. That's what we provide. And that data eventually, uh, with this process, will gain value and can be used for, you mentioned, carbon credits or other usage in the future. Mm -hmm. so, so, Mark, I mean, you've been looking at this stuff for some time. I mean, you know, you were at the uh, Rocky Mountain Institute and now at Protocol Labs, and you really thought long and hard about what role a blockchain can play in really improving the, this data that we all need to share on a, on a global basis, right? We need some sort of source of truth sure. uh, that will allow you know, products and services like, like Fred's team are building to work. So in a nutshell, w what is the benefit, right? You're, you guys are working on, on Filecoin, IPFS, and that sort of thing, but it really it's the principles across multiple pro protocols, I think, that, that works here. Yeah, sure, without a doubt. And thank you for having me. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here. To your point, you know, Filecoin Green, the initiative that I work on within the Protocol Labs network, 
was created in recognition of this decarbonization imperative that the world faces right now. We know that we are nowhere close to achieving the deep decarbonization that is needed to keep us in line with a two degree centigrade rise in global temperatures by the end of this century. And we strongly believe that blockchain networks and crypto primitives have a unique opportunity to pull sustainability data through uh, connected value chains or supply chains in a more accurate and a quicker fashion than we can with Web2 systems. So we are very focused on developing a, a series or a whole suite of Web3 native monitoring and reporting tools to help pool that crucial environmental data through supply chains in a matter of minutes rather than months. Join us for Converge 22, Circle's first annual conference on the blockchain-driven future of money, coming this September to San Francisco. Converge 22 is a gathering for what's next in Web3, featuring demos and developer workshops, plus guest speakers like our very own Money Reimagined co-host Sheila Warren, Aves Stanley Kulikov, Compound's Robert Leshner, and Solana's Anatoly Yakovenko. Money Reimagined listeners get a special discount with the code COINDESK. Register today at converge.circle.com. Near is a revolutionary yet simple Web3 platform for building decentralized apps. Designed by developers for developers, over 700 projects are now building on Near's fast, secure, and scalable protocol. Whether you're a crypto native launching DeFi apps, NFT marketplaces, and play to earn games, or looking to migrate your project from Web2, Near makes it easy to build Web3 for the masses. Near offers developers a variety of tools, resources, and support for building apps, empowering communities, and creating a more fair, inclusive, and equitable future. Start your Web3 developer journey now by visiting Near at near.org. That's N-E-A-R.org. Let's stick with that for a second. And so talk to me about two things. So one, what specific kinds of data are you looking to gather and collect? And, and why is it that Web2 methods for doing this are falling short? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I'll address the second one first in that Web2 systems really are not fit to bring this crucial environmental data to the respective stakeholders that need it in a timely manner. With the way that current corporate uh, sustainability reporting is conducted, is that a one company assesses their environmental footprint for their individual organizational boundaries, and they report that on an annual basis, right? At which point, their supply chain actors, one tier upstream, one tier downstream, can look at that information, assess how it impacts their uh, environmental footprint for their organizational boundaries. They can report that, at which point the tier two supply chain actors further upstream, further downstream can report that. By that time, right, when we're two tiers away from the, the middle organization, we're more than two years out. Wow. We have right now, we have less than eight years to half global emissions. If we want to stay within line of climate, scientists have said, to achieve a two degree centigrade global warming. And it's accelerating as well, right? I mean, it looks yeah. like people feel as if the actual... Climate change. Anecdotally, exactly. let me tell you, heat wave in California last yeah, week. Sure. Yeah, look no further than the heat waves, right. the fires. rapid fires, yeah. the massive droughts, yeah. such as what we've seen in parts of the U.S. as well Pakistan. as in China, as well as the massive floods like we just saw in Pakistan. Pakistan yeah. yeah. 
I mean, so it's essentially an accounting problem, but it, but it's a, it's a means by which we gather that that accounting, yeah. right, Fred? I mean, it, it's like at the end of the day, we need really reliable data to yeah. be able to take these actions, and I suppose to incentivize and build the kind of products, the the investment products, and all sorts of things like that that we built on this, right? Yeah, exactly. I think the, the central point, at least for us, is the data. How you acquire the data, how you verify this data, and how you store this data. And obviously, if you look at data today, from a scientific point of view, everything linked to climate is changing. So when you acquire one point of data today, then this data tomorrow, or a week from now, a year from now is going to be different. So what you need is acquire data, but also acquire data frequently enough so you actually can gather uh, enough data to understand you know, what's happening, what's happening on the ground, you know, what, whatever you are looking at in, in terms of ecosystem, you need that structure, this places where you know you have this in place so uh, if you look at blockchain it's the place where it can happen because you have smart contracts you have you know structures where you can define the standards and the methodologies to do that and for us uh, if you look at how data is captured today in what we do in, in this very niche kind of uh, market data is captured with a paper and pen on, on the ground that's usually how it's, how it's done so that is the first pain point. But also the second pain point is basically that you have a very siloed approach on how this data is captured. So you, maybe you have a scientist capturing data or a university capturing data. You have a company capturing data. So they don't have all the same methodologies. They don't have the same validation system. And obviously they're going to store data on their server in a very centralized place. So to change this world, we have to actually work together on how we do differently, how, how we actually do it together, capturing the data, validating the data, and storing the data. And that's kind of the value proposition that blockchain has, and we have for this very niche approach. Yeah, so, so let's stick with that for a second, because we just had recently, you know, John Oliver did a segment talking about how uh, there's so much greenwashing happening and carbon credits are all nonsense and this kind of thing. And, and, and to be sure, I mean, we have seen a distressing, I think, amount of corporate actors who are creating a methodology that is designed to make them look really good, right? So incentivizing them to adopt something that is more consistent and a framework where you can make comparisons between different kinds of, not just corporations, between different kinds of actors, whether it's layer one protocols, whether it's you know mining facilities, whether it's whatever it is, you know, how do you think about the perverse incentives that exist? Because a lot of actors want to be, I mean, I think all of us here, of course, are deeply motivated to do the right thing. But if you're not, you know, are there ways of creating accountability? Fred, how do we think about, you know, these, this, this reality of also these kind of perverse incentives that exist on the part of actors who want to be able to appear as if they're being more environmentally focused or friendly than they actually are? Yeah, I think it's a huge challenge ahead of us. And there are no single solution out there. It's not simple. It's a complex issue where you have to think, probably you have to start thinking very niche uh, on how you address one issue. Mark was talking about uh, how you account for emissions. That's one thing. You know, there are all, of, all other things around that you have to kind of look at in a, in a very niche approach. And we've started to do that in forestation, but you can start to do that maybe in solar energy, in uh, how do you do coral uh, conservation or restoration. You, know, you have to have this specific kind of mindset to address one issue. And eventually, if we do that well, if, you know, we can have kind of a, a system where those, those, those Legos will connect to each other in, in, a, in a Web3 environment. I don't, I don't believe that it's possible to think that completely holistically and to come up with a, a very holistic solution. 
it's going to be too complex. Right. It, it needs everyone to play along, right? Yeah. But one of the great motivators, or perhaps the great motivator of action, of course, is money. You know, we hear numbers like $30 trillion of investment needed in the next you know, decade or whatever to, to get us to where we need to be, which sounds on the one hand, Mark, like a, a major challenge, but on the other hand, is a huge opportunity, right? I mean, there's, there's real money to be made by building out renewable systems, by building liquid assets on top of that. And I think one of the interesting things about pass-through from the data that we can prove on a blockchain is that then you have the same technology turning these things into tradable assets and tokens. So, so how does that work? How do, we, how do we go from getting the data to then saying, okay, guys, now there's something that you can actually hold as an asset. You know, we've got all of these ESG committees and large investors who are saying, I need these sorts of assets. Certainly. Is this industry in a position to provide those assets for them? Yes, I think we're perfectly positioned, very unique opportunity to serve that massive groundswell of interest coming from the corporate landscape, right? If you look at that corporate area right now, more than half of the S&P 500 companies have sustainability targets, with the majority of them having science-based emissions reductions targets, right? And there are over 2,600 signatories to the Task Force for Climate-Related Disclosures. That's only going to grow. So there's a massive, massive movement in this space. But I love that this has really focused on the data underlying all of these assets. Because at Protocol Labs, right, and with IPFS and Filecoin, we are the data availability and storage network of Web3. And what we have recognized specifically on our team of Filecoin Green is that all of these environmental assets, whether they are carbon offsets, whether they are renewable energy certificates, whether they are some other form of impact certificate, there is an unbelievable fragmentation in the quality, the transparency, the verifiability of these data sets. I guess to drop a little alpha here, our team has been working on a solution called CO2.storage, which is intended to provide a way for individual project developers to create standardized data schemas, store that natively on Filecoin and IPFS in a content-addressed manner to enhance the transparency and the verifiability underlying all of these digital assets. What is, though, the level of interest amongst the, and this is a question for both of you, but I'll go to you first, Fred, that traditional corporate world, the guys who are sitting on those mandates to, to really you know, address these ESG needs, are they waking up to the prospect of, of blockchain and uh, you know, digital assets as a solution? Yeah, I think some are. By the discussion we are having, we've, we've been engaging discussions with some corporates, uh, I would say the more tech-savvy corporates of this world, they are looking at blockchain and they are trying to understand what we are experimenting because it's, to be honest, we'll, we're still experimenting something because it's a, a shift. How you see the world, how you actually get, work with that data, work with the people gathering the data, how you validate that data. And I think it's, they, they are really keen on understanding this and eventually being part of it. I'm not sure how fast it's going to go, but eventually I think we have, and that's a great chance with blockchain, we have this community approach that those guys don't have because they are in, very, in a very siloed approach to market, to how they work, and we are in a very open environment. So when we talk to people, wherever they are, and we, we tell them we want to build an environment where you know, this data is at the center and the data is... Uh, your data and it's going to be checked by other decentralized parties and eventually someone else is going to be using that data for bringing you value. I think that's, that's something that is starting to get in people, people's mind and it's actually starting to happen. You know, we are doing it. So it's a matter of maybe time and also education, I would say. 
I think that's, it's so interesting to think about, you know, knitting together the uh, transparency aspects of a blockchain, right? And how that can create accountability and movement and community around the visibility that this kind of accurate data capture, faster, you know, data capture could actually bring together, but then also knitting that together with token economics underlying it to incentivize the kinds of behavior that we want to see that's actually going to lead to the outcomes that we really need to very rapidly, as you pointed out, Mark, get to. I guess I just query whether, you know, you need people to understand all the details of that, right? It's, it, it seems at the fundamental level, it's really more about saying there is a way of capturing data in a more productive, you know, transparent, accountable, reliable, accurate manner, and then using that to indicate, you know, where things really are, where what things are happening and not happening. And that alone, I would think would be valuable. And we get back yet again to this kind of question of like, what are we educating folks about? You know, so when I go and testify, for example, to kind of loop that in, we, there's a lot of talk about climate disclosures, both at, from the SEC and from you know, the Ad Committee, from others to say, we've got to have climate disclosures. And well, my question is always- actually literally building, literally building that those, in. Those that's, right. that's right, that's right. And the question then is like, well, is this performative? Because the last thing you want is right. performative climate because then people just move on. Like, well, I did that. I did my good thing I was supposed to do and I move on. And the concern is that without Web3 and without a blockchain underlying this, you're going to get back to the problems that you were citing, Mark, and you're going to have not only too much lag, not enough accuracy, but you also can't build any meaningful accountability in systems that don't have that kind of consistency behind them. So I'm curious what your general thoughts are. Do you think that regulators or policymakers, is it helpful to kind of mandate, you know, climate disclosures uh, anywhere in the world? Is that a useful thing for what you both are trying to do? Or is that something that you kind of find, you know, eh, performative or orthogonal or just not of value? We'll start with you, Fred. Yeah, I, I don't know. What I'm seeing, you know, is that it's so diverse. You know, whenever we work in a country, that country has a specific lens on how they see carbon, on how they see this market. And so... so it's, it's hard to say like at a global level because those guys have been trying hard to find a you know, consensus on how to work together for close to 40 years and yeah. they're not there. Uh, so, not going so well. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really hard to navigate that space. I think you know, there are certain countries where you have some clarity, some others you have none. And I think you have also opportunities in certain countries to actually educate about why this is a good solution, why it's, it's very good to be transparent. And Specifically, I think about you know the more developing kind of countries of this world. They they are quite keen of being part of that solution because it's for once they would be part of the technological evolution. They are usually not part of that, and this is their opportunity to be part of this. So that's my perspective concerning SEC. I have, <laughs> I have no, no specifics to say about this. I'm, I'm not. Uh, well, to to piggyback off that, Fred, from the climate disclosure space, uh, we are seeing rapid movements all around the world. Policymakers at a local, regional, and a national level are now starting to mandate climate disclosures all around the world. And some are even going a step further, like here in the EU, where they're already starting to propose carbon adjustments at national borders. That is a massive move from a climate disclosure perspective. However, going back to that deep decarbonization and incentive, we certainly need all countries, corporations, and consumers to drive deep decarbonization at a scale and speed never before achieved. But with the state of environmental markets and with the fragmentation that we're seeing in the climate policy space, the way that most people achieve their climate goals or their climate mandates is by conducting a very hand-wavy carbon accounting exercise 
and then buying a, an appropriate amount of low quality, low cost offsets, right? Open in the market where there is very opaque details about the additionality, the verification, the real measurements of that project or exactly how many emissions are actually being mitigated for that project. And that's where I see blockchain and Web3 technologies coming in and playing an absolutely pivotal role to helping us move towards that deep decarbonization that's needed. I'm going to have to go to a topic that, um, you know, we all sort of roll our eyes at a little bit. And that is, you know, the, the general public's perception of blockchains as being this massive threat to the environment. And of course, you know, the distinguishing between proof of work versus proof of stake is a big problem with that. But just generally, the very unsophisticated level of conversation around consumption of energy, use of energy, the impact and what, what, you know, how these whole systems work as a mechanism for incentivizing the right kind of behavior, to me, has just been very frustrating to watch. <laughs> how do you guys see this? I mean, is it getting better? Is there, I mean, Ethereum's about to go to, to proof of stake, and that's, I think, probably going to be a really interesting test as to whether or not the general public starts to think differently about these things. But, you know, even the conversation around Bitcoin, in my opinion, is extremely just misinterpreted so often. So, I mean, do you see the, any improvements, Fred? Or any, any, what is the general perception? And how important is the messaging that this community needs to undertake to yeah, get people I, on board? I, I think the general perception of blockchain is still not very good, especially on the, on the energy consumption. So people don't understand what is, what is the difference between a proof of stake, proof of work, so they don't understand the different L1s, you know, when, what, what is the value proposition of all those L1s, what they do. Uh, so there is a lot of education to do, uh, of course, and that is basically shows like that could be uh, of great help. But I think going beyond just the energy consumption, you have to think about systems, you know, coming back to processes, methodologies, how you gather the data today in our vertical, this forest station vertical, you flow people around. Hmm. So you've actually have consultants yeah, wow. flowing all around yeah. the planet gathering yeah. data. That's how it works today. This is it. And how can you make a shift away from that and say, okay, now we empower local people to gather data mm. by te using technology that is going to be uh, super helpful for them because they don't have that technology yet. And then that data is going to be validated also in a decentralized way. It's going to be make the process. The process is so much more efficient yeah. that I haven't done any calculation, but it's, it's, it's an order of magnitude that we will actually... You, uh, just, you just said the word people, right? I mean, that's, that's a really inter interesting and important point is that how do we get everybody involved in this? Like I, I was actually sort of inspired by something that was created, um, it was called Safecast around the time of the Fukushima disaster mm -hmm. in uh, Japan. And, and Joey Ito, the former head of the MIT Media Lab, was sort of part of this project. They realized that they needed to properly, accurately count all of the, uh, you know, the Geiger counters that they were putting down to measure radioactivity were all dispersed. Like one was 100 miles from the other one, and you had no idea about what the radioactivity was in between them. So they made this little thing, and they put it in people's cars, and people drove around, and they fed this collective pool of data into the system. And now you have this rich understanding across Japan and also around the rest of the world, for that matter, where these things have gone, that tell you, give you a picture. I, I encourage people to look it up, safecast.org. It's a really interesting look at how collective human data gathering with sensors and with high-tech things can work. But, but the thing is, you need buy-in from people. And you mentioned before about the developing world and how this is a chance for them. So where are you going with that? Are you, are you thinking hard about how folks in the Amazon and so forth can be there to manage and input sensors in place? And, and also, how do you incentivize them? Is there a feedback loop that can somehow work out of these models? I know 
Gain Forest, for example, you guys have worked with them. They're thinking about that, right? That there's a payoff for these people. Yeah. Thoughts on that? In, in, in our case, you know, we use what people use, common credits. I mean, mm. that's how mm. uh, you can argue they, they're not good, they're good. The, the thing is that it's the only tool we have now. Uh, so let's use this tool, let's improve it. Uh, obviously, you can argue that maybe you don't believe in the system, but it's there. It's a tool that you can use and improve. Uh, so let's build on that. And the value proposition is basically to uh, say to those people on the ground, you do a good job. If you do a good job, you gather this data, this data is validated in a decentralized way, then you'll, you'll get those common credits at the end. And so instead of having a very complex system where they don't know where the common credits are going to, eventually a broker, eventually whoever, they'll get those common credits themselves. And that's a huge change in terms of value proposition for those people because first today they don't have access to that and now they have access, but in, in a way where they are in charge. I think that's going to change. It's going to trigger a mindset for those people on the ground where they'll say, okay, now I'm in charge of my destiny, so to speak, in, in terms of financial you know, impact. Yeah, you know, I mean, what you're describing, Michael, is a, is a standard civic tech problem, right? So I'll go back to my decade in civic tech, but just the question of how you incentivize users, uh, individuals, members of a community to think of themselves as part of a community is really what you're talking about, right? And it's the community creation, even without commodifying anything about it, right? Like even without having a visceral, financial, tangible reward, people will come together in community because they recognize these problems are acute. It's just the problem I think right now is that people don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So people purchase or obtain carbon offsets because they've been told by people who know better than they do until, you know, John Oliver exposed it all, right? Like, that's the thing you do. You take a flight, you buy a carbon offset. You can even do it right in your app. You purchase your ticket and you get your carbon. It's just, it's a simple mechanism that people have been told works. And so I do think that recognizing that these problems are now felt acutely all over the world, not just in emerging economies and very developed economies, right? As you, as you were pointing out as well, it's just that these are universal problems. How do you think about leveraging that and then demonstrating, I think what you have to show is the movement, is the progress towards the goal. And that's the thing I think is really hard about climate because the progress is negative, right? It's that we got hotter, slower, you know, Mm. we don't get cooler necessarily, and that would be a great outcome, but you get hotter, slower. And is that rewarding in the same kind of Mm. dopamine hit sort of way? So Mark, I'd love to get your just thoughts on this, because of course you think about incentives all the time, right? And what yeah, you certainly. Do. This is a really relevant topic. Great question. And it brings up a reference from a United Nations environmental report that's always in the top of my mind or back of my mind. Every year, they produce a report called the Emissions Gap Report that takes stock and evaluates the trends of emissions and the emissions pathways and compares that to policies around the world to decarbonize countries, corporations, consumers. And last year's report, 2021, the title was The Heat Is On. And the primary summary from the first page executive summary was that climate change is no longer a future problem. It is a now problem. We are already facing uh, devastating effects, not just in emerging countries, but all over the world. And if this summer um, it showed us anything and, and on into this fall, uh, that is certainly true. So we certainly need to do quite a bit of, of activity. We need to realign incentives across every uh, sector of economic activity to drive collective action towards common goals that are related to deep decarbonization. And once again, I, I very strongly believe that blockchain networks and crypto primitives have a unique opportunity to drive this collective action towards decarbonization and to showcase how we can be a front runner in that manner. 
yeah, the word community has become such a, a hot topic in the crypto world in the past year because of NFTs, because of sure. DAOs, right? We're already sort of looking at the way that communities of, of common values can form around this technology. And so, you know, there are certainly people I know that uh, the, the folks at Emerge are looking at, you know, taking NFTs that can sort of evolve in a way that incentivizes you to sort of keep working with something. So I'm wondering, you know, I know there's a lot of NFTs being built on Filecoin and stuff. What, what, what's your take on that and how we might leverage some of those ideas to, you know, activate these communities in their common interest? Yeah, certainly. Uh, that's another great topic that definitely deserves probably its own podcast in its own right. But just to briefly touch on this, and Fred, I know you're an expert in this area and you were uh, alluding to this earlier, but underlying all of these environmental assets or these projects related to emissions reductions or afforestation or whatever it may be are a crucial set of operations called MRV, Measurement, Reporting, and Verification, right? And that is the on-the-ground assessments or maybe triangulated with drone imagery uh, data as well as maybe even low-orbiting satellite imagery data to take stock of the state of a project and to evaluate it over time, right? Uh, the measurement, the reporting of that measurement, the verification of those measurements. And that is a continuous process that happens throughout the entire life cycle of any of these projects. Um, what I have been really energized to see specifically in the NFT space is a lot of early stage projects starting to experiment how you could have a mutable record file specifically stored potentially on Filecoin and IPFS that allows for these MRV measurements, this MRV information to kind of flow up to the NFT, mm. right? So the, the creator of a, a carbon credit could sell that on the open market, showcasing that at the beginning of a project, it has this much emissions reduction potential. And then over time, it incrementally increases or decreases depending on the state of the project. I think that type of dynamic data yeah. flow for the uh, impact project itself is incredibly interesting. And I'm really excited for projects like Fred, Gainforest, and others that are doing things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. The next generation of NFTs that sort of takes data and then absorbs it and then changes value as a result of that yeah. is really what gets interesting here. Yeah, yeah. yeah Fred, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I think NFTs are a great thing because it, it, it has been perceived as something that you kind of buy and sell. Uh, obviously, you can do much more than that. And just Mike just explained. And I think it's kind of the anchor of every project you would need to do in a, in a blockchain environment. Why? Because I think most you know, climate projects are linked to a specific location. Maybe not all of them, but the, the vast majority are linked to a specific location. And why is it important to actually know where is this happening is that you need to anchor the project in a specific location, in what they do, in how, in what they want to do in the future. And this is the perfect tool. The, the NFT is the perfect tool to anchor that. Then you can add regular data upload of any kind. Uh, we are talking about forest for us, but we can talk about anything else. So the regularity uh, of data provided to the blockchain every year, every month, whatever, uh, the, the data set you are, you are, you're working with is super uh, important because you will, you're basically building a database of that project in a decentralized way. And that has an immense value. Why? Because it's a trusted asset uh, in terms of data. And then, you know, you can use that for, we're talking about carbon credits, but you could think about lots of other applications and obviously social applications, as I see kind of the, the growl, yeah. uh, would, be, would be awesome to develop. They are much harder to capture because they are changing more and they are not like very strict methodologies on how to capture that. But it would be kind of the direction we, we should think in the future. 
I think there's incredible potential that, that you're both talking about, right? And unlocking. And, and part of what I think is necessary to that, of course, I think is a ubiquitous blockchain foundational underpinning <laughs> into a lot of this. I think it is the community engagement and the understanding of what the really is and the kind of eyes on the prize that, you know, you've done so well with Open Forest, uh, even the name of it, but also uh, the work that, you know, you're leading really at this kind of fundamental level around, around carbon and everything else. I think it's um, what I hope is that we can get to, you know, this is where I guess I get a little pessimistic here, but get to realization of the critical importance of those goals. And I think it's also important, just as a cautionary note, to be able to bring along people who don't care about those goals at all, right? Who are not motivated by the realities that we all seem as, see as incredibly obvious and in our faces and in our sweat glands and everything else on a, on a regular basis. And so my hope is that, and kind of what I, I think we've teased out a little bit here is, how do you think about community creation for those who care? How do you think about pecuniary you know, remuneration for those who don't care? But how do you thereby create not just a, a primary and secondary market around these things, but a movement mm. that can move quickly and mm. rapidly and collectively in the same direction using accurate information, getting insights from that data because you know you can rely on it and actually being able to affect more almost micro adjustments, right? In what we need to do, because I think to the points that this is a dire situation, I think that we're all in and I think we all agree on that. Uh, so that's just my note is to say, despite I think views on, you know, the validity of climate change as a reality and all those kinds of things and the denial of all of that. Nevertheless, I do think what makes Web3 so powerful is you can create incentive structures that accommodate your underlying belief can be irrelevant because you still want to own that cool NFT. Can I just you wanna, are you, are you yeah. asking them to talk about like carrots and sticks? I mean, a little bit, so a little bit. And disincentives being built into I don't even system, think right? it's that. I think it's saying you can be neutral in the goal, right? Mm. But you can still be incentivized something like an NFT because it's cool. To think. You, don't there's a, there's a, you don't even care, right? Sure. You're like, I want to have, you know, forest coin or I want to have the NFT that's the sticker of the character or whatever it is. Right. It looks like that because that's a cool thing and it's just, it's just like kitschy and fun and cool. And if the underlying benefit is there or not, I don't really care. And or, so- Or it's making you a ton of money, Mark. I mean, it, it could be, yeah. It yeah. could be one or the other. What I think is very crucial, at least- to me is that if there is some type of monetary aspect to those digital assets, that it is backed by real, measurable, verifiable climate impact, that we are actually reducing emissions like we say we are. Going back to what I mentioned earlier about the state of carbon markets as they are now, the majority of the low quality, low cost offsets generally don't actually mitigate as many emissions as they say they can, right? And we need to increase that. We need to increase the quality uh, and the number of high quality offsets in the market. If we can do that through the medium of NFTs, in doing so, add that monetary aspect there that allows for a movement to grow. That's amazing. I would love to see that. But growing movements and growing communities, as you all know, is no small <laughs> feat. Yeah, tough work. Actually, one more point on that. For our part, one of the ways that we're trying to do that and catalyze this nascent environmental Web3 space is hosting regular sustainable blockchain summits. It's one of the events that we host quite regularly. We just hosted one in Europe, um, excuse me, in um, July in Paris, uh, where we had over 300 people from all types of um, chains and ecosystems. Open Forest Protocol was there to uh, provide some awesome announcements at that time. And we'll actually be hosting another one in October in Bogota, right around DevCon. Um, really, the aim is just to bring together all the people that are focused on these crucial topics and, and to hold more collective conversations and dialogues to move the space forward. 
Yeah, something that, that we talk about a lot. They needed to convene all the stakeholders, right? Like yeah. as much as, you know, there are some things that can be built with just one community, but yeah. we're going to address climate change. Everybody needs to be a part of this, whether we like it or not. The Web2, the, the energy companies, the old, the, the old fuddy-duddies in TradFi, they've got to be part of this movement, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think the challenge for Web3 now is basically reaching out to those people that are not familiar at all with Web3. Mm. And we shouldn't be talking about Web3 with them. We should be talking about concrete stuff that they, they have real problems, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah. We should be addressing those real problems with them on the ground. Whatever they are, you know, we're talking about MRV. Um, that's that is a real challenge. Those guys will be helping us, and if you find the right tools, the right ecosystem to onboard them, whatever it is, Web three or Web two point five for them, or Web two, because they will interface only with Web two. What is important is to find a way to actually have them onboard and build this community, which is breeding outside of Web three, hmm. and that is something that is a real challenge because when you think about those complex problem. And addressing those complex issues, it's not just technology. It's yeah. something else. It's, it's, it's human relationship. It is yeah. where you work, you know, which country, uh, how this country works. You know, it's maybe eventually corruption. It's you know, a whole different set of things yeah. that is not just technology. It's mm -hmm. completely diverse and tr completely transversal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, it's a, it's a big, it's, it, it is everything, right? It's it is, it is ultimately yes. this sort of big social issues. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've always been fascinated by the potential, at least for, for blockchain, to deal with this because I think it it grapples with the core problem of climate change action, and that is this tragedy of the commons problem that we don't we don't have a mechanism for how we actually kind of manage collectively this commons that we have, and that therefore we've got to figure out how we we set you know out, outside of that some mechanism for all of us to, to actually come together around it. So, look, this is the biggest problem facing the world. And I'm glad that we've got, you know, two very energetic, but also lots of other people working for you and with you in this broader community who are absolutely dedicated to it. I think, you know, the passion and the enthusiasm is, is the most important thing to start with. It is, with, with, you know, without that, we don't get anywhere. So I'm, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm hoping that, that uh, our, our viewers and our listeners are, are going to get something out of it and sort of see ways to get involved, basically, right? And to, to, to be a part of this, because it is an open system that everybody can be involved in. So, Frederick Fournier from uh, the Open Forest Protocol, thank you very much for your time. And Mark Johnson from Protocol Labs, thank you. And Sheila Warren, what a pleasure to be with you <laughs> in we person. But we will see you guys next week. Actually, we won't, the next week's an audio only one. So, you'll be hearing from us hearing next us. week that's all for now though that's all for money reimagined come back next week bye 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 you've been listening to money reimagined today's show featured sheila warren michael j casey and guests fred fortier and mark johnson today's show has been produced and edited by michelle mousseau announcements by adabi levine and our executive producer is jared schwartz our theme song is by shepherd if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 